Father, I'm grateful to know you. Grateful to have a relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus, for making that possible for me to be reconciled with the Father. And Holy Spirit, thank you too for your presence in my life. When Jesus left, it said it was good that he leave because then you would come. Thank you for guiding me. I'm willing to listen. Help us now. Help me now as I teach. Help me to be clear. I pray that everything that I say would be useful. That it wouldn't be a waste of uh, their time. That this would be useful to them personally and also useful for helping others. Thank you, Father, for providing a way to get rid of any darkness that's in us so that we can shine brightly like you. And of course we want to shine brightly like you because we're your children. But we can't do that without your help. And so uh, thank you for providing this way. And now I pray and ask that you would protect us as we study this topic of curse by association participation. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so today's topic is cursed by association and participation. And, uh, you know, in Scripture it says that Jesus became a curse for a curse. So you might think, well, we don't need to study this. Jesus has already dealt with this. Well, in fact, Jesus did provide everything we need to resolve these kinds of issues. We just need to pray. And so there are people that um, that don't receive God's full blessing. There are people that are under a curse. Uh, you might think that God doesn't curse. Well, yes, he does. He said, I will curse those who curse you. This was spoken to Abraham. Um, and so this is something that does happen and uh, people do come under a curse and scripture even informs us about what kinds of people come under a curse. And so either through kinship they come under a curse, basically because of who they're related to or the group they're part of, they come under a curse. Or they come under a curse because of participation, because of something that they've done that God has forbidden. And so let's look at scripture and see what kinds of people, which groups of people come under a curse. The first group are people that are born out of wedlock. They're born outside of marriage. Deuteronomy 23.2 says, No one born of a forbidden marriage, or in some other translations, illegitimate birth, nor any of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, the assembly of Yahweh, even down to the tenth generation. So if you were illegitimate, if you were born of a forbidden marriage, you couldn't enter into the assembly of the Lord's people. So you couldn't join them. So you would say that you wouldn't call that a blessing. You would call it a curse. You're not able to receive God's whole blessing because 
you're illegitimate because of the sin of your parents. And so what this implies then is if a child is illegitimate, a child is born uh, outside of marriage, conceived outside of marriage, or born outside of marriage, that they need a prayer to release them from the effects of their parents' sin. Now, the child did not sin. There's nothing that they themselves need to confess, but they've come under the effect, the iniquity of their parents' sin. And so, uh, they need to deal with this. So, for example, this sister, her parents were not married and she was conceived. And later she became a Christian and shortly after that she became a missionary. But she never felt close to God. And when I asked her, why? Why do you think you don't feel close? She said, because my parents conceived me outside of marriage. So I thought of this verse from Deuteronomy and I suggested that, well, that was your parents' sin. Sex and sexual intercourse is supposed to be something reserved for a married couple between a husband and a wife, but your parents weren't married. That was their sin against God and a sin against you. They should have waited. And so she accused her parents for their sin and then she forgave them. And then she announced that um, she had done the same thing. So she confessed that, that she also had sex before she was married and conceived outside marriage and asked God's forgiveness. And then she asked God to release her from the effect of her parents' sin and the effect of her own sin. To forgive her and release her from what she had done. To release her from the curse that she was under. To allow her to receive God's full blessing. And so she prayed that. And I asked her, so did God forgive you? And she said, yes. Did God remove the effects of this curse on you? And she said, yes. And I said, how do you know? And she she said, because he hugged me. God hugged me. So all her life she had longed to be close to God, but felt a gap. And now this gap was eliminated uh, by a simple prayer. And so um, a person that's born outside of marriage or a person who is conceived outside of marriage, uh, if they have this kind of experience, it can be resolved. God will answer their prayers. And it's, Scripture suggests that what they feel is a thing. It really does happen. Sometimes um, adopted children have similar feelings. They also feel they didn't receive God's full blessing. They don't. They feel like they're under a curse. That the uh, parents that God gave them 
didn't want them or couldn't have them and gave them away. And so this troubles them and they sometimes they seek after their birth parents even after they've been adopted, uh, longing to know them and meet them. But they have this sense that they were cheated somehow. They were not given God's full blessing because their parents left them. And so in this example, this um, young man, he um, his parents gave him up for adoption and um, the adopted parents accepted the role of a mother and a father and they took good care of him. They provided for his every need. Um, they also uh, taught him right from wrong and corrected him when they needed to and so they they accepted the full responsibility of a mother and a father. The only thing they didn't contribute was their sperm and egg. The sperm and the egg came from the birth parents. But the birth parents hadn't accepted any of those responsibilities. And so who was who was his father? Who was his mother? His father was the one who accepted the responsibilities of a father. And his mother was the one that accepted the responsibilities of a mother. But all his life, he had rebelled against them because they weren't his birth parents. So in this particular case, he was really angry that his birth parents had given him up for adoption. Really hurt by what they had done. And so he accused them and forgave them for what they had done. And then he confessed that he, after this, he had a sense of guilt, that he had not accepted the care and the love. He hadn't accepted his adopted parents as his parents. And so he confessed this and asked God's forgiveness for what he had done. And when he had finished that, I asked him, so do you want God to, what do you want God to do with the tie to your birth parents. And so we had a discussion and he realized that as long as he was looking for them, as long as he felt tied to them, he wasn't able to accept the adopted parents' authority in his life. And so he decided, he decided to ask God to cut the tie with his birth mother and his birth father. He was in his 30s and had never met either one of them. And so he prayed and God cut those ties so that he could accept his adopted parents as authorities in his life. Now, I'm not saying that that's what you should do every time. Some kids can accept the adopted parents as parents without cutting the tie with the birth parents. Other ones can't. So anyway, there was no curse on him. Uh, by God, he wasn't illegitimate. He was born inside marriage, but he did feel like he didn't receive God's full blessing. So he also accused and forgave his parents and then asked God to strengthen the tie with his adopted parents. So it's similar, but not exactly the same as this illegitimate birth. So if someone comes to you and they feel like they don't receive God's whole blessing, that they're under a curse, what do you say? Don't dismiss it. Ask them. So what makes you think you're under a curse? 
what's happening. And then, why would you be under a curse? And listen to what they say, listen to their story. And then you can help them to pray. If it's if it's a issue of illegitimacy, that's that would be um, how you deal with it. But there's other groups too that come under a curse. There's other groups in the Old Testament that did not receive God's full blessing. And um, some of these effects lasted for generations. No Ammonite or Moabite or any of his descendants may enter the assembly of the of the Lord, may not enter the assembly of Yahweh, even down to the tenth generation. So, um, why? You know, there's lots of different people groups. Why did God single out the Ammonites and the Moabites? Well, it's quite simple. God said to Abraham, whoever curses you, I will curse them. And the Ammonites and the Moabites cursed God's people. They refused to give them water to drink and refused to sell them food to eat as they crossed the desert to the promised land. And some of them even killed the stragglers, the Israelites that were um, far behind the others. And so this was not acceptable to God. This was considered to be a, a especially egregious sin, atrocious sin. And so God put a curse on them for ten generations. Now, you probably know the story of Ruth. Okay, so what people group was Ruth from? Okay, she was a Moabite. And this Moabite entered the assembly of Yahweh. So how did that happen? Well, when Naomi was leaving Moab, Ruth said, Your God... Naomi, your God, and your people will be my people. And so Ruth went with Naomi back to the promised land. She turned away from her people, turned away from their sin, turned towards God. She turned away from the God of the Moabs and turned to, to Naomi's God, the God of the Bible. And God honored that. Later, Ruth became a Jew. She became an Israelite. Not only was she an Israelite, but she was also part of the lineage of Jesus. She was one of Jesus' ancestors. And so not only could she become an Israelite, but she was cleansed from her defilement so that she could be part of the lineage of of Jesus. So the effects of her people were removed. The curse on her people was removed. And she was cleansed to the point where she could become an ancestor of Jesus himself. Now, another group that came under a curse was the Edomites and the Egyptians, and it lasted for three, three generations. Now, if you're not comfortable with the phrase cursed, you could say that they weren't able to feel, to receive God's full blessing. It says, do not abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother. 
do not abhor an Egyptian because you lived as an alien in his country. The third generation of children born to them may enter the assembly of the Lord. So again, this was a curse on the whole group of people, not on individuals. It wasn't just a curse on Pharaoh. It was a curse on all the Egyptians and a curse on all the Edomites. And again, they had done something so terrible and so bad that this particular sin was so offensive to God that he uh, refused to let them enter the assembly of Yahweh for three generations. So, so a person can come under a curse because they're associated with a certain group of people who have done some great sin, some great offense against God. So we don't live in the Old Testament. We live in the modern world. So how does this apply to us? Well, it implies that people, even now people may bear the consequence of their people's sin, a result from their people's sin. So, for example, the Germans tried to um, totally annihilate, totally destroy the Jews and the Slavs and the Gypsies. Okay, all these people are made in God's image. They're his image bearers and they attempted to destroy this whole people group. Maybe that is brings a curse on the German people. Maybe the sin of the German people is so offensive to God. This attempted genocide is so offensive to God that they're under a curse. They can't receive God's full blessing. Or the Turks attempted genocide of the Armenians. They tried to totally annihilate, eliminate all the Armenians. So maybe the Turks are under a curse. They can't receive God's full blessing. How about the Americans? You know, we signed treaties with tribe after tribe of American Indians, but we violated those treaties again and again and even massacred whole tribes of people. And so maybe Americans are under a curse because of what we did to the American Indians. Or maybe the Japanese are under a curse for what they did in Nanjing, China, for all the rape and the murder of all 500,000 people or more in Nanjing. Maybe the Chinese are under a curse for the Boxer Rebellion where they murdered hundreds of missionaries and thousands of Chinese Christians in 1900. Maybe the Manchurians are under a curse for utterly destroying a whole branch of the Mongolian family and then building a monument to gloat in their victory. So do we really think God of the Bible has changed? That the group of people could, could can do 
terrible things now and God just turns the other way that the people that are part of that group they don't there's no consequence no result for their action God doesn't change and so um, if someone comes to you and they say I am so ashamed of what my grandfather my great grandfather did you know he was part of uh, a group that just went and massacred a tribe of Indians. So if they came and they tell you this, what are you going to do? You're going to say, oh no, there's no curses. Jesus became a curse for a curse. It's already dealt with. That will not remove their guilt, will not remove their shame. They need to accuse and forgive the people of their group that did this. And just like Ruth, they need to say, I don't want to be part of this group. I am God's child only. And so they need to separate themselves from uh, that sin. And if they were part of what was done, they also need to confess their own part in the sin and ask God to forgive them. So if they say, I just feel like I'm under a curse, you can ask them, what is it that's happening in your life that makes you think you're under a curse? And then you can ask them, why? Why would you be under a curse? What did you do? Or what? Why? Uh, or the people you're part of, what did they do? You, this is the kind of question you can ask in a session. So that's the second group of, peop- of uh, people under a curse. People of certain races, people of certain people groups. Another group in scripture that comes under a curse are people that live in the presence of a detestable object, an accursed object. This comes from Deuteronomy 7, 26. Do not bring a detestable thing into your house or you, like it, will be set apart for destruction. Utterly Abhorrent and detested, for it is set apart for destruction. Okay, so this woman, she became a believer. She became a believer. She trusted God for eternal life through faith in Jesus. And she would pray to him. And she would read her Bible and she would go to church on Sunday. But in her home, she had all of these Tibetan Buddhist artifacts. She had all these objects that had been blessed by a lama or used in worship by a monk or had been dedicated to the temple. All these things in her in her house had been, she bought them because they had been blessed or dedicated or used in worship. And yet, they were used in worship to a false god, to an idol, to the kingdom of darkness. It was not worship to the kingdom of light and so this was her sin so even though she was a believer she 
sinned by having all these objects in her home. But she refuses to get rid of them. She refuses to get rid of them. But it says right here, don't bring a detestable object in your house. Abhor it. She does not abhor it. She does not detest it and she won't. So she won't get rid of it. So do you think that as a believer that that has no effect on her? Well, there's a spirit that sometimes he's a sweet Christian who prays gently and lovingly and other times she's influenced by a spirit and she's angry at God and um, shakes her fist at him and um, swears at other believers, even beats them. And so she goes back and forth like a leaf in the wind because she refuses to obey God in this area. So when we have an object like this in our home, an object that we've brought into our home, an object that uh, as the owners of this home uh, we permit to be present in our home, um, we give we give a foothold, an opening to Satan and also uh, an opening to God's wrath even though we're believers. So we need to get rid of those things. We need to get rid of them and then we need to confess what we've done and ask God's forgiveness. We have to declare that we're his child only and we want nothing to do with the kingdom of darkness. We need to ask God to cancel the debt that we owe in the kingdom of darkness by bringing those objects in. Another example is an American man. He um, called at 11 o'clock at night and said, can you please come to my house right away? So then he said, I went to his house and I said, what's happening? And he said, well, there's these black objects that are fluttering around in the corners of my living room and there's this American Indian princess sitting at the end of my couch. And so I noticed that he'd been drinking. So my first thought was, he's hallucinating from the alcohol. But then I looked around the room. On every wall, there was an American Indian artifact. And so I just asked him, I said, so these Indian artifacts, are they? have they been blessed in any special way or dedicated somehow or used in uh, Indian worship of some kind? He said, oh yeah, all of them have. And I said, really? So how do you know? He said, well, I was there. I was at the ceremony. So I told him that you need to get rid of these, that you're one of, as God's child, they, you have no relationship with the kingdom of darkness. And so he got rid of them. And then I told him, you need to confess what you've done. That as God's child, you brought these detestable objects into your home and brought a curse on yourself. And you need to ask God to forgive you for what you've done. And not just forgive you, but declare that you're his child only, that you don't want anything to do with the kingdom of darkness. And ask him to remove any effect so that you can receive God's full blessing. And so he prayed that. And after that night, um, 
he never saw those uh, spirits, I would say spirits, in his home. He never saw that Indian princess spirit in his home ever again. Even though he still drank until he was drunk every night, he never saw those things again. So I think that those spirits were there because of those detestable objects. He gave an opening to Satan. Okay, one third example. <coughs> so in there's a market in Beijing where you can buy old things. And oftentimes there's objects from Tibet that are for sale there. And one time there was a human skull for sale. And the top of the skull was worn smooth, much smoother than the rest of the skull. And so if you were there, would you buy it? Well, probably most of you would say no. Now, if I asked you, why won't you buy it, what would your answer be? Well, you might say that it's a human body and it's um, it's disrespectful or it's, um, it, it's it, we're desecrating a human body. We should bury it. That's the respectful thing to do. And that's true. Uh, others uh, might say, oh, it's just creepy. But here's the thing. The reason why that skull is worn smooth is the llamas, as they pray, would rub the top of that skull back and forth. So this was actually an object used in prayer and worship. And so this is a detestable object, not because it's a human skull, but because of what it was used for, for the detestable purpose it was useful. And so you shouldn't buy it. If you do, you're bringing a detestable object and into your life, into your home, and it will bring a curse on you. Now let's say you go down the street and you see a plastic skull in the market. Do you buy it? Well, some of you might say, oh yes, it's cool. Others might say, no way, it's creepy. Okay, well, whatever reason you buy it or don't buy it, it has nothing to do with being a detestable object to God. It has not been used in some sort of dedicational ceremony or in some hasn't been blessed in some way. Um, it hasn't been used for worship. And so it is not a detestable object. And so your reason for buying it, for not buying it, isn't because you'll be set apart for destruction. You will not be set apart for destruction for buying a plastic skull. And so you have to answer the question, what is detestable? Now, sometimes you may not know whether this object has been, is detestable or not. And you can pray and you can ask God, yes or no, is this detestable? And if it is, then get rid of it. God gave us his word, but he also gave us his spirit. We are doubly blessed. And so if you need to know whether this object is detestable or not, you can pray and ask God himself. Now, oftentimes, we sense that it is um, detestable, that it has been used in the kingdom of darkness somehow. And so you shouldn't ignore that either. 
So people who bring detestable objects into their home, <coughs> they become set apart for destruction. They come under a curse. Even if they are a believer, they come under a curse and it will provide an opening to Satan in their life. <coughs> Another example of people that come under a curse in the Bible is people who seek spiritual power or knowledge that is not from God. They seek spiritual power and knowledge but not from the God of Jacob, Abraham, and Isaac. And so they're seeking power, they're seeking knowledge, they're seeking wisdom from the kingdom of darkness. This is sin against God. So one of those groups are sorcerers or mediums or spiritists are sometimes called. It says sorcerers, mediums, and spiritists are to be stoned. Do not allow a sorcerers to live. So God has forbidden us from these activities. Another verse, a man or a woman who is a medium or spiritist among you, you must put them to death. You are to stone them. Their blood will be on their own heads. So even though these people take that sorcerer's life or take that medium's life or spiritist's life, God does not hold them responsible for that death. He holds the spiritists themselves responsible for their own death. Now, we don't live in the Old Testament times, and so we don't stone people to death, but um, from these verses we can see that God is really, really uh, offended by people who do these things. So offended that he wants them put to death. So any sin can keep you out of heaven, but these sins, they cost you your life. These sins cost you your life now in this world. So seeking spiritual power or spiritual knowledge from anywhere other than God himself is detestable to God. It doesn't uh, just affect the person, though. It also affects his family. Here's an example. As I was on a train on my way from Beijing to Hong Kong, and I met a man from Mongolia. And he didn't know that I did prayer resolution. He didn't um, even know that I was a Christian. But we were talking, and he... Um, I don't know why, but for some reason he said, I feel like I'm under a curse. And I said, well, what's happening in your life that makes you think you might be under a curse? And he said, well, all the men in my family, they die young, and all their deaths are violent. So then I went on and said, so why would your family come under a curse? And without hesitation, he said, because my father was a lama and my mother served in the temple every day. She even died in the temple. And so is it possible that he's under a curse because 
of his grandfather and grandmother's sin against God. Yes. Yes, it is possible. And not to, not to dismiss how he feels. Instead, help him pray. He needs to accuse his grandfather and grandmother for bringing a curse upon their family by practicing things forbidden by God. God doesn't have two different standards. There's one standard. And so this was their sin against God. Even though they didn't know God, this is still their sin against God. And so he accused and forgave them for what they did. And then he also confessed those things he did that participated in these kingdom of darkness activities and asked God to forgive him. And then he said, I don't want anything to do with Lama Buddhism. I don't want anything to do with what my grandfather and grandmother were involved with. I am your child only. Please remove the curse so I can experience the f- your full blessing as your child. And so this is the way that you can resolve these kinds of problems. So there's other things that are forbidden, other activities, other uh, ways of seeking power or knowledge from the kingdom of darkness. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in fire, who practices divination or sorcery, who interprets omens, who engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things, anyone who does these things is detestable to Yahweh. And because of these detestable practices, Yahweh, your God, will drive out those nations before you. So as the, as the, uh, as the Israelites were entering the promised land, They were, they conquered all these people. God permitted them to conquer, conquer them because of the detestable practices that had gone on for over 400 years. So, all of these things are forbidden by God. We're forbidden from doing these things. It does not say, don't do these things, they're powerless. It says, don't do these things. Satan is not powerless. But he is not as powerful as God. Satan is only a fallen angel. And so um, we're forbidden from doing these things. So here's some examples to help you understand forbidden practices. So this woman, her father was a priest in a Taoist temple. And he was also the medium for that temple. The spirit of the temple would enter him and he would speak to all the other priests and people. All the food that was uh, in the temple had been blessed. Um, And so, how does this affect his family, his wife, his daughters? This brought a curse on them. And when he found out that his daughter had become a Christian, he was really, really angry. And he forbid her to be baptized. So how did she respond? 
She prayed and God allowed her to wait until her father gave her permission to be baptized. Five years later, he permitted her to be baptized. Every year she went home for spring festival and all the food on the table had been blessed. And God had told her, when she asked, God told her not to eat that food because he wanted her mom and dad to know that she was different now. So the first year that she was back for spring festival, she was pretty hungry. The second year she went back, her mother went out and bought other food from the store for her to eat. Another example. Uh, So in this case, then, the daughter had to accuse and forgive her father for bringing a curse on the family and also um, not just a curse on the family. And then she had to declare that she was God's child only and didn't want anything to do with the kingdom of darkness. Didn't want anything to do with Taoism. Okay, the second one. The fortune teller told her that she would marry young but divorce quickly and then live single for the rest of her life. And she believed these words. And so she was very afraid to get married. And once she was she's married, she was just waiting for the divorce to happen. And so she became a Christian, so her hope is in God. She should not put her hope in a fortune teller's words. She should not give up her joy because of his words. God says divining is detestable to God. She needs to confess that she went to the fortune teller to divine her future. And she needs to ask God to forgive her. And then she needs to reject this fortune teller's words and confess all the ways that it's robbed her of the joy of life, all the suffering that her sin has caused her and her loved ones. And then she needs to ask God's forgiveness. She needs to accuse and forgive the fortune teller for divining her future, for that also is sin. She needs to acknowledge that he also sinned against God by what he did. And um, after she rejects these words of the fortune teller, ask God to break their power so that they no longer have any control in her life. So anyway, there's steps that she can go through to resolve her sin. Another example, he searched the book of changes, which in China is called I Ching, to decide what he should do today. Based on the date and time of his birth and today's date, the book said it was unsafe for him to go outside, so he stayed home. But divination is detestable to God. Divination is detestable to God. The Buddhist monk does a special ceremony in the presence of 
the family so that the dead person goes to paradise instead of hell. Divining is detestable to God. The family consults a feng shui expert to decide how to place the grave and then consults the Huang Li Almanac to decide when the coffin can be taken outside. But divining is detestable to God. The business is doing poorly, so the con- they consult the feng shui master who tells them to place a large stone near the front door to block their enemy's force. Divining is detestable to God. She was sick, and the chi master said he could heal her. He moved her hand slowly around her body, never touching her, forming her chi force. There was no prayer to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob asking for healing. Instead, there was a force without a name, without any personality that was consulted. She received a service from the kingdom of darkness. She owes a debt. She needs to ask God's forgiveness and state that she's his child only and to remove the effects of seeking power from the kingdom of darkness, seeking healing. The power to heal from the kingdom of darkness. Okay, so that's another um, case. Okay, interpreting omens. Here's some examples of that. She believed it was the year of the widow, even though she was a Christian. You see, this year it went from winter to summer without a spring, and so it's called the year of the widow. And so she believed that if I marry this year, in the year of the widow, then my husband will die young. Omens like this are detestable to God. We're not supposed to interpret omens. This is detestable to God. So even though she was a believer, after I taught on this topic at church, she came up and asked me, she said, it's the year of the widow. Do you think I should get married this year? So even though she was a believer, she still put hope in omens, put faith in omens, belief in omens. And so that was her sin. She needed to confess her sin before God and ask his forgiveness. He lied about the year that he was born because her parents wouldn't allow them to marry otherwise. When the parents found out the lie, (coughs) they pressured them both to divorce because they were incompatible. So the parents believed in this kind of divination. But God says that it's sin, that divination is detestable to him. Here's an example of engaging in witchcraft. She was very sick and the medicine didn't help, so she went to a witch. She told her to add a strand of her daughter's hair to the potion and drink it at midnight. The witch promised to call back her daughter's soul. Witchcraft is detestable to the Lord. 
consulting the dead. We're not to consult the dead. The father spoke to the dead ancestors, invited a spirit to enter him, then spoke in the grandfather's voice to the rest of the family. Spiritists and consulting the dead are detestable to God. Another example, his mother was upset because he wouldn't bow down before the ancestors and offered them food and burn money. She believed the ancestors' spirits would cut off their family line in response. Consulting the dead is, is detestable to God. There's some activities that uh, we can say are suspect. For example, what about occult movies? Um, so here's the thing is watching these occult movies, they can affect us. Uh, usually they affect us by affecting our beliefs, our beliefs about spirits and demons and angels and God. And usually we become fearful as a result. So for example, there is a belief in China that if a person dies violently, that their spirit hangs out at that spot where they died and waits for another person to come along and attacks them, torments them. So where do they get this belief from? Well, it's maybe it's a very old belief, an old cultural belief, but there was a television show that ran in the 70s, 1970s, that that showed this kind of behavior again and again and again on the TV show. So uh, the ones that I've talked with, the, the ones that I've dealt with in sessions, watched that TV show and believed that evil spirits would be waiting in places where there's a violent death to attack anybody that comes by. So clearly by watching um, this TV series, it was not good for them. It did not bring them life. It, it led to death. It's on the path to death, not on the path to life. Strangely, though, I know another situation where a young man watched the movie The Exorcist, which is a very um, horrible movie. And um, But for him, it was much different. You see, where he grew up, there were spirits everywhere. Uh, and they were influencing, strongly affecting uh, people. They were attached and strongly affecting the, uh, the people they were attached to. But what he saw in The Exorcist, he saw that there was a man that could command a spirit to come out and it obeyed him. And so he wondered, who is this man? And what he found out was he was a Catholic priest. And so he too wanted to become a Christian because of the movie The Exorcist so that he would have the power to cast out spirits. So he did become a Christian and after becoming a Christian he didn't pursue uh, power to cast out spirits. But um, nonetheless, somehow God used The Exorcist to uh, lead him to faith. Other suspect things, uh, yoga. So the positions in yoga, they're used as worship by Hindus. And they refer to the names of Hindu gods. And so many yoga teachers use these positions as exercise only. But some also include Hindu meditation and study. So I would just say uh, be careful. If you join a class and it makes you feel spiritually uncomfortable, you should not attend. 
And if you are not sure, then pray and ask God, is this okay? In a similar way, in China, there's Tai Chi, which is usually just an exercise. Uh, whereas uh, Qi, Gong, is clearly uh, spiritual. And so these two things are linked, but one is clearly spiritual and the one, usually the other one is uh, just exercise. But depends on the teacher and what they're teaching, not just on what they call the class. Another suspect activity is martial arts. There's some, uh, many different forms of martial arts and some are taught as exercise only, but others include spiritual forces. So if you join a class that makes you uncomfortable, then you should not attend. And if you're not sure, you should pray and ask God, is this okay? So for example, this brother, he was at a very high level of uh, Gong Fu. Uh, he could break a plate of glass with just the flick of his finger. After he became a believer, he asked God if there was a spirit that gave him this power, and God said yes. And so he quit practicing Gong Fu and renounced this power that he had received from the spirit and asked God's forgiveness. Another suspect activity is certain ESP activities. For example, a pastor was driving to work and suddenly he felt he must return home quickly. When he arrived, his house was on fire and he ran into the house and saved his children. Now this premonition was not from his senses, his eyes, his ears, his nose, etc. So some people might call this ESP, though he himself credits God for warning him. And so if somebody uses this idea of ESP, you need to ask them to give you an example. Another activity that's suspicious is acupuncture or acupressure. Um, acupuncture is based on the concept of chi, that there's an invisible force that cannot be measured. There's no clear physical explanation of how acupuncture works, so maybe it's spiritual. Uh, unlike shaping chi, the chi without touching the body, just using your hands, which must be a supernatural effect, acupuncture both touch the body, which might be natural instead. But if it makes you spiritually uncomfortable, you should not use it. And if you are not sure, you can pray and ask God whether you should do this or not. So we don't want to do anything that's a forbidden, forbidden by God. We don't want any association with the kingdom of darkness. We don't want to seek after power and knowledge that's not from God. Spiritual power and knowledge that's not from God. And if we do, we're under, we're under a curse, even as believers. We give Satan an opening in our life, and that is not a blessing. Giving Satan a legitimate legal reason to be uh, active in our life is not a blessing. It's a curse. And so... Um, we should not do these things. So if something violates your conscience or you feel convicted by the Holy Spirit, you should not do it. James 4.17, Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, 
to him, it is sin. And so if it's wrong to you, then don't do it. Follow your conscience. Follow the Holy Spirit. Don't do it. There also may be locations that are spiritually defiled. Uh, so the land can be under a curse. And we get this idea from Numbers 35-33. It says, Murder defies, defiles the land, and except by the death of the murderer, there's no way to perform the ritual of purification for the land where a man has been murdered. We live in the time of the New Covenant, uh, the murderer does not have to die to purify the land. Jesus has died, and in his name, a defiled place can be cleansed. So here's an example. This woman, her mother was murdered very violently uh, in her home in a village. And there was blood everywhere. So the daughter cleaned it all up. And uh, in her prayer, she even forgave the man that murdered her, trusting God to do justice uh, for the evil, wicked sin that he had done to her mother and to her. But even after she forgave him, she still couldn't live in that house. She felt that this place is defiled. I told her she could go with some of her uh, fellow believers and so she went with a couple sisters in Christ and they prayed together and asked God to cleanse the house from any spiritual defilement. And now she lives there. She's not uncomfortable living in this place anymore because God has cleansed it spiritually. There is a place in the world still today where we can, as believers, we can um, perform rites of cleansing, if you will, by praying over ground that's been defiled. And we can also bless that ground, not just remove its curse. We have that power. We have that authority in Christ's name. So the Bible does talk about different situations where there is a curse. There are situations where there's a curse on the land. There's a situation where there's a curse on a certain group of people. There's a situation where a person becomes cursed because they have detestable objects in their homes. There's a, a people who are cursed because they do forbidden spiritual activities, seeking power, seeking healing, or seeking knowledge through spiritually, but not through God. There's people who uh, come under a curse because they were illegitimate. Their parents weren't married when they were conceived, or their parents weren't married when they were born. And so, or maybe they don't even know who their uh, father is. And so, these are all situations described in Scripture. And so, if somebody comes to you and they say, I feel like I'm under a curse. I feel like I can't receive God's full blessing. You need to hear their story. You need to ask them, what is it that makes you think you're under a curse? What's happening in your life? And if you are under a curse, why would you be under a curse? What did you do to deserve a curse? And so um, 
you have to enter into these discussions and then you can help them pray in order to resolve the effect that they feel in their spirit. There's some um, steps to deal with these kind of things. And so let's go through that. Um, you see the, the hurting one. The first thing to understand is the hurting one is the one who prays to resolve these things. It's not the safe helper praying on their behalf. We're not acting like a Catholic priest in the um, movie The Exorcist. Or They pray themselves because they have standing with God. They are part of the priesthood too. God is their Heavenly Father and so they can pray to Him directly. They don't need us to stand in between. Christ made it possible for them to go directly to the Father. And the Holy Spirit doesn't just live in the safe helper. The, the Holy Spirit lives in them. And so the hurting one can go directly to the Father and the Holy Spirit can direct the hurting one um, also. It's the hurting one that has the problem and the hurting one that has free access to the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, often though, the hurting one needs to be helped. They need help to know what to pray. But once they know what to pray, they're perfectly capable of praying on their own to their own Heavenly Father. They have the power and authority to do this just like we do as safe others. So if you're dealing with one of these types of um, curses that we've been talking about, uh, you need to understand the issue clearly. So that's step one. You need to discuss it. You need to talk about what happened before they do any kind of prayer. And you have to look at each of the incidents or at each issue. And so then after you've talked long enough so they know what to pray, they have to go through accuse and forgive and confess and ask for forgiveness. Uh, now, of course, sometimes um, there's no one to accuse. Sometimes there's nothing to confess. But if it applies to this situation, then they need to go through those steps. But if they stop there, then they wouldn't be finished. This issue wouldn't be completely resolved. This curse and its effect wouldn't be removed um, completely. They also need to renounce any allegiance or bond they made to the kingdom of darkness. They need to announce, renounce um, any mm, service they received from the kingdom of darkness. They need to ask God to nullify their allegiance. They need to ask God to cancel any debt that they owe to the kingdom of darkness. Then they need to ask their Heavenly Father to cleanse them from the defilement, the spiritual defilement from the kingdom of darkness. And then finally, they need to pronounce that they are God's child only, that they don't want anything to do with these things that are part of the kingdom of darkness. That their allegiance is to God only. And so they're giving up any bond, any allegiance 
that they've made to the kingdom of darkness. And then, of course, when they finish their prayer, the safe helper offers up a witnessing prayer. Offers up a prayer that acknowledges the accusations and the forgiveness. That acknowledges the confession and the asking for forgiveness. Acknowledges the renouncement of allegiance and bond, etc. And declares that um, these things are done because they've met all the requirements of God. Now, sometimes there's other things that have to also be dealt with. Sometimes there's emotions that have to be given uh, over to God. Sometimes the memories themselves, they don't want to remember this anymore. And so they ask God to only bring it to their mind if the Holy Spirit brings it to their mind. Um, there's Sometimes there's family bonds that need to be restored or broken. Uh, sometimes there's words of power, judgments and lies that and that need to be confronted. Sometimes there's sexual sin that is associated with these occult activities that has to be dealt with. Okay, so that's the steps for dealing with these cursed topics that we've been discussing. Now, there's another kind of curse that a person can come under is that they can be strongly influenced by an evil spirit. Now, an evil spirit can't possess a believer, but they can strongly influence a believer if the believer provides a foothold of some sort. The believer has to let in that evil spirit before it can have any effect in their life. But now it follows then that when it comes to renouncing and getting rid of spiritual forces that the hurting one has all the power and authority to do this. Just like they have the power and authority as a priest to accuse and forgive and confess and ask for forgiveness and renounce their allegiance, etc. They also have the power and authority in Christ's name uh, to get rid of spiritual forces. The hurting one has the power and authority to get rid of spiritual forces. Now, as a child of God, he has power, he has authority over the evil one. And, by the way, only a believer has the power and authority to command an evil spirit to leave. A non-believer does not have this power and this authority. So only a believer can cast out an evil spirit from an unbeliever. Now, if a believer is being demonized, if there is a spirit attached to a believer, um, he must himself take a stand against that spirit or else that spirit does not have to leave. What if the hurting one, there's an evil spirit attached to them, but they don't want it to leave? Can the safe helper force that evil spirit to leave? No. The hurting one has to be in agreement, has to take their stand against this evil spirit, has to command it to go, 
uh, or it will not go. The safe helper cannot force it to leave without agreement of the hurting one. No one can cast out that spirit out of a, a believer if they're not in agreement. So here's the steps for dealing with the spiritual forces. Now, you might think that you know you don't believe this. You don't believe it exists that there are spiritual forces. And okay, I'm an engineer, and I didn't think it existed either. But then one day I was faced. I faced this in a session, and I had to deal with it. So you might not believe it exists, but when you realize that it does when you face it in a session. Here's the steps that you need to go through. The first step is you need to uncover the presence. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal if there is a spiritual force present. If there is a spiritual force present, then you command the spiritual force to reveal itself. You also forbid the spiritual force from manifesting its power. Okay? So step one, uncovering the presence, uncovering whether there is an evil spirit presence, whether there's a spiritual force present. Now you might think there is a spiritual force present or you might maybe there's a spiritual force present so how do you deal with this is you have to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal whether there's a spiritual force present don't assume that there's a spiritual force present ask the Holy Spirit to reveal if there is a spiritual force present Okay, step two, after you've uncovered the presence, then you command the spiritual presence to leave in Jesus' name. We have the power and authority to command it to leave because of Jesus. So we command it to leave in Jesus' name. What if you command it to leave, but it resists? It doesn't go. It doesn't leave immediately. Okay, well, there must be a reason why that spirit doesn't have to leave. Something permits that evil spirit to be present. Something permits that spiritual force to remain. Some sort of sin or some sort of lie, something, some sort of foothold permits that spiritual force to be present. So you ask the Holy Spirit, to reveal. Holy Spirit's called the revealer. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what the source of the resistance is. What are the actions or what are the sins that give power to this evil spirit or force or gives this spirit or force permission to be present? Okay. And then once you've identified what the source of the resistance is, what the sin is, what the foothold is, then you pray and you let God resolve resolve it. And once you've eliminated the foothold, once you've eliminated the thing that permits that spirit to remain, 
then you reject that spiritual force and you command it to go. You command it to leave in Jesus' name. Okay, so um, we don't usually, in PR, we don't usually deal with spiritual forces until the very end. Usually we deal with all the forgiveness issues first and then we deal with all the uh, belief system issues, the lies and the worthiness. And then finally, we deal with uh, cursed. And in cursed, we wait until the end. We deal with spiritual forces. Why? Because if we've dealt with all those other issues first, then the foothold should be gone. So when we command that spiritual force to leave, it just simply must leave. It just leaves. It goes. Now, occasionally, occasionally the spirit interferes with the session. And if that happens, then you'll have to deal with the spirit earlier rather than later. So if the spirit's interfering in the session, preventing you from continuing, you can deal with the spirit and then uh, continue with your sessions. So this pastor was in South America and he prayed against the regional spirit. He was all alone in his room and he prayed against this regional spirit. And as he was praying, he felt this sharp pain in his stomach and heard this, wasn't an audible voice, but in his head he heard this voice saying, you don't have to die, you just have to leave. And so, um, what did the pastor do? He left. He left as quickly as he could. He left that country. He went back to his home country. And so, effectively, he obeyed that voice. That was not God's voice, and he knew that. So, for ten years, this spirit troubled him. For 10 years, this voice troubled him. All the time he was a pastor of a church, it troubled him. One day, the elders, they got together and they cast this spirit out. And he was like a changed man. But three weeks later, that spirit came back. What permitted that spirit to return? The foothold was still there the foothold had not been removed. And so we prayed and asked what permitted that spirit to remain. And God revealed the fact that he had obeyed that spirit's voice. And so that gave that spirit authority in his life. And so he confessed his sin. He confessed that he obeyed the voice and he believed the spirit had more power than God's Holy Spirit did and he asked God's forgiveness and then he rejected the spirit and commanded it to leave and has never come back. So if there's a spirit attached to a believer, there must be a reason. There's a foothold. There's something that permits that spirit to be present. Some sin or some lie that they believe that permits it to be present. 
Another example, so this um, fortune teller, she um, gave, told people their fortunes and she consulted a spirit when she did that. And she did that for decades. And then she became a Christian. After she became a Christian, that spirit still would come to her in her dreams. And so clearly, this sin has not been completely resolved. So how should she deal with that spirit? Well, she should confess that she was a fortune teller. She should ask God's forgiveness. She should confess that she consulted a spirit that was not from God in order to do that, to divine the future. So she should confess that and ask God to forgive her. And then she should uh, renounce any allegiance to the kingdom of darkness. She should give up this ability to divine people's future that she gained the service that she received from the kingdom of darkness. And then she should announce, pronounce that her allegiance is to God only, that she's God's child. And also ask God to cleanse her because she's defiled her spirit by being in cahoots with the spirit. She's defiled her spirit by counseling, seeking counsel and advice from a spirit that was not from a spirit, not from God. Another example, this uh, young woman, when she was just six, her mother died. And she wasn't allowed to go to the funeral. She w didn't have any chance to say goodbye. And so she was very, very sad and very, very shaken. Um, she felt like nobody else loved her. Nobody else cared about her. And so she often thought about her mother. And for many years, her mother would come to her in her dreams every night. And she was so excited to see her mother every night. But her mother would come in her death clothes. And so she was also scared. And so uh, God showed me that it was an evil spirit. So I told her, I said, that's not your mom, that's an evil spirit. Command it to leave. And she said, no, no, no. I want to see my mom. So then I I told her, command your mom not to come back in her death clothes. And so that night her mother came in her dreams, but she wasn't in her death clothes. And she only came a couple more times in her dream. And then she stopped coming. Why? Because it wasn't her mother. It was an evil spirit. And if the spirit couldn't scare her, there was no reason to come. And so the dreams stopped. Now you might want to know um, why we ask the spiritual force to reveal itself. Well, if you know its name then it gives you an idea how the Spirit came in. Um, another reason to know their name is sometimes there's more than one present. You have to deal with uh, several. And so having a name uh, keeps it from becoming um, confusing.
So you don't have to be afraid. God's Spirit is in you. When Jesus left, he said, My power and authority I give to you. And so as his children, we have God the Father's power, his authority, to deal with, even to deal with evil spirits. Now, um, it can be very exhausting to deal with this kind of thing. So I would suggest that you always work in pairs, not just when you deal with um, evil spirits but uh, or spiritual forces, but um, work together with a partner. Uh, that's the PR way, is two people helping one because then you can share the load together and it, it's not as uh, difficult. Um, a pastor has a special power because of his position as a shepherd. And so um, if the pastor is willing and you know you're dealing with a spiritual force, you could invite him to, to join you. Uh, even if he doesn't know PR, he could join as, uh, as an observer and he has, he has a certain power because of his position. And so you could include him uh, in the session. So again, you might think that there's no such thing as evil spirits, that um, this was just another name for a disease, you know, that modern science has eliminated all the spiritual forces. Well, um, yeah, a lot of things that were attributed to evil spirits uh, are now found to be other things. But there still are evil spirits, and so sometimes you may have to deal with one, but you don't have to be afraid. And if you follow these steps, you can uh, resolve this. Um, yeah. Now, as Westerners, we want to pretend that this doesn't exist. Uh, actually, this curse chapter, of all the chapters, I feel like this chapter gets used the least in Western society. But did you know that Minneapolis is the um, Wiccan capital of the nation? I mean, there's a lot of um, occult activity right here in our cities. And it's all around us. It's, it's much more common than you realize. And so I just want you to encourage you to study this and um, because there will be a time in some session where you'll need to deal with some sort of spirit attached to a believer. So so thank you for your time and I'd just like to close us now in prayer. So Father, um, you are light. There's no darkness in you. Father, we're your children. We want any darkness in us. We want it to be gone. And we want to help our brothers and sisters to get rid of any darkness in them so that we together can shine brightly as your church And Father, um, for some, the darkness is uh, an evil spirit that influences them, a spiritual force that's not from you that influences them. And Father, we want them to be free from that so they can experience the, the fullness of life that you promised, not suffer, not suffer under the control of a spiritual force. So thank you for this time tonight, this discussion. Father, I pray and ask your cover on all the students that nothing that was raised tonight would cause them any trouble.
that they'd be at peace and that whatever came to their mind uh, would get resolved in a session so they too can have a fullness of life. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.